Cosy Consulting Podcast. You can find us online anytime at CosyConsultingLLC.com. And now, here's your host, Sarah Cosy. Hello, hello, and thanks for tuning in. I knew we would get to a Saturday night special eventually, and here we are. <laughs> what an upside down, topsy turvy, bizarro clown world we live in. It feels like it's been that way for a while now, but I swear some days are just more maniacal and off putting than others. I wasn't having any sinus issues until I sat down to record, and then all of a sudden I started having a weird tickle in my throat, so we will see if I can get through this without either sneezing, snotting, or having to do a lot of throat clearing to be determined. On December 1st, on The Atlantic, we learned inflation is our fault. Me and you, John and Jane Q. Public, it's our fault. The byline reads, if people are so mad about high prices, why do they keep buying so many expensive things? I just, before I even get into it, oh God, I just want to put my head in my hands. Like sometimes people can't help, but to need to buy something expensive and then gestures broadly, everything's expensive now. Just going on a basic grocery store run is expensive now. You're going to tell people go without food, water, and basic shelter. Come on. Now, fairly soon into this article, you hit a paywall and I'm not going to pay a dime to read it. So we can only go so far. In this, we read, you would think with prices as high as they are that Americans would have tempered their enthusiasm for shopping of late, that they would have pulled back spending on luxury items, that they would have sought out budget and basic options, bought smaller packages, fewer things. This is not what has happened. Yeah, I'm going to butt in right here and say it's what has happened for us. We most certainly have been buying budget and basic options and giving in to shrinkflation and buying the smaller packages of items and just making do with it. Uh, I'm not going to have somebody gaslight me and tell me that my household hasn't been doing that when we have. Consumer spending rose 0.2% after accounting for higher prices in October, the most recent month for which the government has data. Online shopping jumped 7.8% over the Thanksgiving long weekend, more than analysts had anticipated. I'm going to butt in here and say there may have been people that didn't want to go out in public. They didn't want to deal with pushing and shoving, potentially. They didn't want to deal with germs out in public. I mean, we're already getting the fear porn about pneumonia and uh, other things coming out of Asia. I mean, they could they could completely do another lockdown again. There could be another <clears throat> that comes to get us. Online shopping may have been a way to find bargains. It may have been a way to just avoid crowds. There's a guy that works in the grocery store that we go to, and he's been there for years. And I, I really like to tap him for information, find out what's going on in the store. Are they having problems hiring? Or are they getting a lot of applicants? They're not. Because I try to practice what I preach. You know, I tell you guys, stay aware of what's going on in your local market and know your industry. If you're in a dying profession, a dying industry, you need to know that beforehand so that you can act accordingly. So I just jabber jaw with this guy from time to time and ask him how things are going in the store. And he told me that Black Friday, it was the slowest they had ever seen in the whole time that he's worked there. It was just dead on Black Friday. It had been crazy busy up to Thanksgiving Day when they were closed. And then Black Friday, when they opened up, thinking that they would have some bargain hunters in there, they didn't. He said it was like a graveyard. 
The sales of new cars, dishwashers, cruise vacations, jewelry, all things people tend to give up when they are watching their budget remain strong. Consultants keep anticipating a recession precipitated by the death of the consumer. Thus far, the consumer is staying alive. People hate inflation, just not enough to spend less. This is one of the central tensions of today's economy in which things are going great, <clears throat> yet everyone is miserable. And in some ways, Americans have nobody to blame but themselves, end quote. Shortly thereafter, we get into the paywall, and, and I'm not going to pay anything to continue reading this. Some people might be buying new cars because they have to RTO. They might not be able to make it to work reliably in an old beater. They may have to have a new car that's got a warranty. We had to buy a dishwasher a few months ago because the other one that was, I don't know, well over 10 years old conked out. And after a week of washing dishes by hand, it didn't take long for me to feel like, let's go ahead and get something. And, and we bought the economy dishwasher, the kind that landlords throw into a, a rental house, not the kind that homeowners typically get that has some real bells and whistles. It's very simple. And even at that, it was, man, this is a price gouge. But it sure is nice to have a dishwasher. Cruise vacations and jewelry, no, we're not buying any of that. There may be some people in the wealthier classes that are continuing to book cruise vacations to buy jewelry, to buy designer handbags and watches and clothing. But those people just ipso facto, by the, by the very nature of their being wealthy, they're going to have more disposable income than somebody that's middle class or working poor. I don't think they are the typical yardstick by which everything else should be measured. Then we get more of this gaslighting. Everything is going great, but people are miserable. It's all the peons fall. Why won't they just fall in line? I published a blog post not long ago titled, Everything is Miserable, because I'm tired of this gaslighting. People know what they're feeling. They know what they're experiencing. They know that they're pinched. And it gets very annoying to be told over and over again in the mainstream media, things are great, robust labor market resilient economy. We don't know why you peons and plebs are so miserable because you got nothing to be miserable about. Well, maybe inflation, but that's really it. And if inflation was that bad, y'all wouldn't be out there booking cruises and buying jewelry. And I'm like, who the F is doing that? I don't know anybody that's doing that. <laughs> I mean, get, get real, get real. Like the average working poor person is out taking cruises and buying jewelry and designer handbags. Give me an effing break. Okay, meanwhile, on the what the hell news front, on November 29th, Jamie Dimon says to be prepared for a recession. Okay. I published a blog post back in October to call out Bank of America because the CEO, Brian Moynihan, had said that consumers would be pushed to the point of pain. We've now reached that point. But then... What they really did back in the summer was say the recession was canceled. Soft landing, no recession, Bank of America now predicts. Imagine no recession. It's easy if you try, according to Bank of America. Remember when we were getting all of that propaganda? Soft landing, slow session, a rich session. It won't impact working class and working poor. No, it, it might be a recession just for the super wealthy. And it's like, well, when the F has that ever happened in history? <laughs> Get real. I mean, just goofy nonsense. And if you go back through some of those Saturday broadcasts, you'll see it's like a ping pong ball. 
The recession is on, the recession is off. The recession is going to rise from the mist one day, like Brigadoon, suddenly, like a, a horn will blow and a parchment from the days of old will unfurl and we will be told, okay, we aren't officially in the recession now. And then we were told, no, there is no recession coming. So apparently now, Jamie Dimon wants us to believe that a recession is back on. In this from CNN, we read J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon issued a stark warning to Wall Street on Wednesday. Inflation could rise further and recession is not off the table. A lot of things out there are dangerous and inflationary. Be prepared. He said at the 2023 New York Times Deal Book Summit in New York, interest rates may go up and that might lead to a recession. Governments across the globe need more money, he said, to fund the green economy, remilitarize, mm, and to address energy crises. And that will all be inflationary. In other words, in order to have Agenda 2030 and Build Back Better and the 15-minute cities and the green economy, oh, and then also to go to war with all of these various countries that are already in turmoil, all of that's going to be inflationary. I'm cautious about the economy, he said. The labor market in the United States has been resilient, but inflation is hurting people. Stimulus money handed out during COVID shutdowns and quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve had injected drugs directly into our system and caused an economic sugar high, said Diamond. But that's fading. I think quantitative easing and tightening and these geopolitical issues can bite, he said. Yeah, the whole effing economy bites right now. In previous interviews, Diamond has said that the Fed may be far from finished with its aggressive regimen of interest rate hikes in the fight against elevated inflation. And it's possible the central bank will continue hiking rates by another one and a half percentage points to 7%, end quote. You know, he, he's given us the same kind of ping pong that we've gotten from, from some of these other Wall Street fat cats. A recession is coming. No, it's not. You should be afraid. No, you shouldn't. Resilient, robust. Burp, burp. Meanwhile, okay. We, we get these conflicting narratives. We get the hush little baby, nothing to see here, move along, no big deal, don't be worried. We get all of that. But then surreptitiously, the government goes back and it, quote, quietly revises numbers, which means they can be out front telling you that the economy is robust, it's resilient, the labor market's in good shape, people are doing great, there's nothing for you to worry about. But then behind the scenes... They're making these revisions to the data. I published an article over on the Job Market Journal on September 1st of this year titled, Ha Ha, the Numbers Were Lies. In that, I write, I have said repeatedly on both my blogs and my podcast that I do not believe we've truly had these un unemployment rates under 4%. No way. That data simply did not match what I saw in real time over 2022 and 2023. I've also repeatedly said that by the time you hear something in the mainstream media, you've waited too late, in my opinion. These so-called economists can make any predictions they damn well please, and if they are wrong, there is zero accountability for it. So am I surprised that these robust job market numbers are now quietly being revised? Not only no, but hell no. The whole freaking thing has been like a Potyomkinskaya derevnia. Yeah, it has been. And I drop a link to this story in USA Today that is titled, U.S. job growth wasn't quite as strong as it appeared last year after government revision. 
There you go. That's what they do. That's what they flipping do. I'll give you more evidence of that in a minute, but I'm also going to go over to Shift Gold where they have a blog post titled, Job Numbers Have Been Revised Down for Every Month This Year. This is what they do. They'll trot out and they'll take their victory lap and they'll tell you everything is great. People, people are doing fine, two legit open jobs for every one unemployed person. If you don't have a job right now, it must be because you don't want one. Hush, little baby, go back to sleep. And then they just go back and quietly revise the numbers and then they, they, they don't publicize it. You have to dig for the information. It's there if you choose to find it, but you have to choose to find it. I'll be talking about some things in upcoming episodes connected to Dag Hammarskjöld, the death of Dag Hammarskjöld and the absolute exploitation that was done by European countries in Africa. And one of the things that I make mention of in these episodes is you, you have to go and learn this as an adult. This is not the kind of thing that you were taught in sort of white bread Midwest America in the 1980s. Not when I was in school. No, we weren't learning about that kind of thing. And then you read this information as an adult and you think, holy shit, this is terrible. This is absolutely terrible. Well, the government's doing the same thing. I'm thinking back to this scene in Oliver Stone's JFK where Jim Garrison's character, played by um, Kevin Costner, is watching this hit piece that was on NBC. And it's real. I'll drop a link to it. You can watch it for yourself if you want to. I have, and it is most definitely a hit piece, in my opinion. It's pretty brutal. And he makes this comment to his wife in the movie, like, well, it's all right. Only 20 to 30 million people are going to watch this and hate my guts, but at least the people who chose to watch Laugh-In tonight will like me. It's pretty brutal. And it shows you, like, okay, we're going to trot out here, and we're going to say this guy's a nutball, and his witnesses are unreliable. They were all just a bunch of scammers, and he did a lot of unethical, untoward things to get them to say whatever he wanted them to say, and it wasn't even true. But guess what? Guess what? They do this hit piece, and then, lo and behold, years later, they walk it back. But I bet you didn't know that. Because, see, they're, they're not going to come right out on Front Street and be like, hey, um, we told you a bunch of lies. We smeared somebody. Uh, we gave you a bunch of bullshit. And that's all it was. It was just straight bullshit. But, um, you know, we're just going to quietly revise that. going to quietly just push that right on under the rug. <laughs> if they put as much publicity on their errors and then coming out and admitting they were errors as they do on this bullcrap propaganda they want you to believe... You would see things in a different light, I think. I received some viewer mail, and it may have actually been from a bot because the information this person provided to me did not seem real. And when I Googled the information they gave me, it just came up one blog after another where this person had written sea lion type comments, which that's where you're you're polite. You don't say anything rude like trolls do, but you're really trying to bait somebody to get into an argument in the comment section, which I refuse to do. I actually don't think this sea lion is a human. I think it's a piece of AI programming that's trying to target people with blogs or podcasts. But nevertheless, this potential sea lion, maybe human, maybe bot, we don't know, wanted me to explicate, well, what's the motive? If we're being lied to about the economy, we're being lied to about the job market, we're being lied to about the JFK pop pop, after all these years, when they could have released the documents, they could have admitted what the truth is, what's the motive to still lie? And I'm like, dude, have you 
have you not been reading my blogs? Have you not been listening to my podcast? I, I feel like I've done a pretty damn good job of telling you why. Nevertheless, here we go. Let, I, I'm here to, to make some illustrations, to set some examples. So that's what I will do. They come out, they make these statements, and it's whatever they want you to believe at the time. And then they can always go back later and, quote, quietly revise it. And they're not going to publicize that part. And I think what happened to Jim Garrison is a good example. So NBC puts out what, in my opinion, is a pretty terrible hit piece. It makes him look like an utter buffoon. Makes anybody that was in league with him look like buffoons. Okay, so you fast forward in time to 1976 and the United States House Select Committee on Pop Pops. You know, I don't say the A word on the air. The United States House Select Committee on Pop Pops is established. And guess what? They had some pretty interesting things to say about Jim Garrison and his witnesses. I will read to you from the House Select Committee on Pop Pops conclusions. Because we've got NBC in 1967 making Jim Garrison and his witnesses look like utter buffoons and crazy people. But then you fast forward to the HSCA in 1976. Hmm. Completely different tune. But is that publicized? No, it's not. So here's what they wrote. And I do quote. In fact, the Clinton sightings, and Clinton here refers to Clinton, Louisiana, which is about 130 miles away from New Orleans. That, that was the kind of the hotbed of where Jim Garrison's activity and investigations took place. So I'll start again. And I do quote. In fact, the Clinton sightings did not publicly surface until 1967 when they were introduced as evidence in the pop-pop investigation being conducted by New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison. In that investigation, one suspect, David W. Ferry, a staunch anti-Castro partisan, died within days of having been named by Garrison. The other, Clay L. Shaw, was acquitted in 1969. Aware that Garrison had been fairly criticized for questionable tactics, the committee proceeded cautiously, making sure to determine on its own credibility the information coming from his probe. The committee found that the Clinton witnesses were credible and significant. They each were interviewed or deposed and appeared before the committee in executive session. While there were points that could be raised to call into question their credibility, it was the judgment of the committee that they were telling the truth as they knew it. End quote. So that just becomes a footnote in history. Yeah, you know what? Actually, um, Jim Garrison's witnesses were, quote, credible and significant. And we concluded that they actually were telling the truth. But, <laughs> oh, well, you know, we ran a smear campaign on this guy. <laughs> Oops-a-daisy. It's the same flipping thing with these quietly revised job market numbers. Okay, let's go over to the Wikipedia page about the trial of Clay Shaw. Because in this, we learn that it only took... Um, Less than an hour for the jury to acquit Clay Shaw and didn't didn't find him guilty, didn't think there was a compelling enough case. Right. Here, under the heading, Later Findings and Charlie India Alpha Revelations, we read, On May 8, 1967, the New Orleans State's item reported that Garrison charged that the Charlie India Alpha and the Foxtrot Bravo India cooperated to conceal the facts of the pop pop and that he planned to seek a Senate inquiry looking into the Charlie India Alpha's role in the Warren Commission's investigation. Garrison later wrote a book about his investigation of the JFK pop pop and the subsequent trial called On the Trail of the Pop Poppers. It's a good book. I've read it cover to cover. I recommend it. This book served as one of the main sources for Oliver Stone's movie JFK. In the movie, this trial serves as the backstory for Stone's account of the pop-pop of John F. Kennedy. Jack Wardlaw, 
then of the since-defunct New Orleans State's Item, an afternoon newspaper, and his fellow journalist Rosemary James, a native of South Carolina, co-authored Plot or Politics, a 1967 book which takes issue with the Garrison investigation as one of political style rather than substantive evidence. Wardlaw also won an Associated Press Award for his story on the death of David Ferry. In 1979, the House Select Committee on Pop Pops stated that available records lent substantial credence to the possibility that Oswald and David Ferry had been involved in the same Civil Air Patrol unit during the same period of time. Committee investigators found six witnesses who said that Oswald had been present at CAP meetings headed by David Ferry. In 1979, the House Select Committee on Pop Pops stated in its final report that the committee was inclined to believe that Oswald was in Clinton, Louisiana in late August or early September 1963 and that he was in the company of David Ferry, if not Clay Shaw, and that witnesses in Clinton, Louisiana established an association of an undermined nature between Ferry, Shaw, and Oswald less than three months before the pop pop. In 1993, the PBS television program Frontline obtained a group photograph taken eight years before the pop-pop that showed Oswald and Ferry at a cookout with other Civil Air Patrol cadets. Frontline executive producer Michael Sullivan said, One should be cautious in ascribing its meaning. The photograph does not give much support to the eyewitnesses who say they saw Ferry and Oswald together in the CAP, and it makes Ferry's denials that he ever knew Oswald less credible. But it does not prove that the two men were with each other in 1963, nor that they were involved in a conspiracy to pop-pop the president. In a 1992 interview, Edward Haggerty, who was a judge at the Clay Shaw trial, stated, I believe he, meaning Shaw, was lying to the jury. Of course, the jury probably believed him, but I think Shaw put on put a good con job on the jury. End quote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they produce a picture. They produce a picture showing that David Ferry and LHO had a relationship, had at least knew one another from this New Orleans Civil Air Patrol. Let me read just a little bit more. During a 1979 libel suit involving the book Coup d'Etat in America, Richard Helms, former director of the Charlie India Alpha, testified under oath that Shaw had been a part-time contact of the domestic contact service of the Charlie India Alpha, where Shaw volunteered information from his travels abroad, mostly to Latin America. Like Shaw, 150,000 Americans, businessmen, journalists, etc., had provided such information to the DCS by the mid-1970s. In February 2003, the Charlie India Alpha released documents pertaining to an earlier inquiry from the Pop Pop Records Review Board about QK Enchant, a Charlie India Alpha project used to provide security approvals on non-agency personnel that indicated Clay Shaw received an initial five-agency clearance on 23rd of March, 1949, and that Shaw in all probability was not cleared by the QK Enchant program, end quote. (laughs) This is what happens. This is what happens. This is what they do. Let's, Let's put out a hit piece to make this guy look like a buffoon, say the whole thing was imaginary, and then years later it's like, oh, well, you know, actually Clay Shaw was Charlie India Alpha, and, you know, actually David Ferry and Lee Harvey Oswald were pictured together, and they actually did know each other. <laughs> Oops. The, the witnesses were credible and significant. They did tell the truth. <laughs> the same thing is happening with these damn job market numbers. You're supposed to think the economy is resilient, the labor market is robust, and, and not do anything to prepare. Don't do anything to get yourself ready. Just sit back and let the overlords take control. Now, to the question the sea lion asked about, well, why? What's their, what's their motivation to lie? 
this is in the, the realm of conjecture, but one of my theories is so that you don't prepare, so that you are caught off guard. It's like taking candy from a baby if you let it. If you let it be that way, it's like taking candy from a baby. You're not prepared. You're caught off guard. You're blindsided. Think about the people that I've, I've discussed on the air who post these things like, well, I lost my job and I had no idea it was going to be so hard to find another one. I walked off my job thinking I would have another job in just a week or two and now I've been unemployed for six months. I don't know what's going on. My experience is not matching what I heard out of the mainstream media. Wake the F up. Who the hell have you been listening to for all this time? If you still think that everything is robust and resilient and you weren't expecting to have a difficult time, then who in the hell have you been listening to? The onus is on you to wake up and take care of yourself. Now, as far as the sea lion's questions about the pop-pop, why would these things still be obscured from us? Why are we still not allowed to know? It's been years ago. I would just have to assume that there's something so damning in the information that hasn't been declassified that we're still not allowed to know it. Remember, the orange man told us that he was going to drain the swamp. He was going to get rid of these swamp creatures and have all this transparency. He could have declassified a bunch of documents about the pop-pop, but didn't. Just long pause there so you can think about it. There must be something that's still so bad, that's still so upsetting that people are not allowed to know. And so it is. I feel like we're in this very historical point in time. We, I think we probably are in a silent depression. We're not supposed to know that we are, but I think that we are. Not supposed to prepare, not supposed to, to do anything. It's just easier to take your stuff. Your house gets foreclosed on and it gets bought up by investors. You know, the buildings, corporate real estate get turned into 15-minute cities. But hey, that's just a conspiracy theory, right? <laughs> what a clown world. I mean, I feel like anytime you get lied to, you have to look at, well, who's lying to you? Who's going to benefit from the lie? And who's going to make money? Who's going to profiteer off of that lying? That typically at least helps to shed some light on the situation. Stay safe, stay sane, and I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a quick second to subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. We'll see you next time. Thank you.